Sota, Perik Aleph, Mishnah Dalad, 1-4, and now the Mishnah continues to discuss the process, the procedure of bringing the suspected Sota to go through with her ordeal. So our mission here starts out by saying, They would take her to the Great Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. Um, this is not because it's a capital case per se. In truth, a capital case you could do by any Bezdin of 23 people. But the Sota procedure, drinking the bitter waters, etc., must be done in the Sanhedrin only. Um, this is based on really a leman from a Pasuk. There's a Gezer Shava, just as the Zakin Mamre, the rebellious elder, has to be done in the Sanhedrin. They're in the basically there's just explicit the Pesukim, and there it says Al Piha Torah Sher Yerucha. So there's a Gezer Shava, Torah Torah, because by the Sota it says Va'asala Hakohen Es Kol HaTorah Hazos. So we learn from there that the suspected Sota also has to have her ordeal carried out there in the Bezinagodl in Yushalayim, there on, on the Harabayas. So now the mission will say four different ways in which we try to induce this woman to admit that she actually had an adulterous affair. Um, the first step, it says, is nefashos. We scare her the same way that we scare witnesses who come to give testimony in a capital case. So the idea is that the Torah doesn't want people to die, um, certainly not unnecessarily, and it's quite difficult to convict someone for, you know, in a situation where there'd be a punishment of penalty of death. So before a trial like that, the witnesses who are testifying are put on notice that they should be very careful in their testimony um, lest they misspeak and what they say ends up leading to someone um, dying unnecessarily. And similarly, we don't want this this woman, the Sota, the suspected Sota, to die unnecessarily. Um, if she would just admit what she had done, so then that's a terrible thing. And really, you know, the prescription in the Torah for adultery is a death penalty, but we don't want to carry that out. And we even Hashem doesn't want that carried out necessarily unless it's under the circumstances with the witnesses and the warning and her flouting that warning and so on. So we don't want her to die, and Hashem doesn't want her to die. So we say, please, just admit, and then you won't have to die necessarily this horrible experience, the gruesome death that goes through with the, these bitter waters. Now, if that doesn't work, she sticks to her guns that she's innocent. So then we go to technique number two, which is um, we basically give her um, comfort as much as we say, listen, these things happen, and we it's understandable to some degree that a person could you know make a mistake, even this is a terrible mistake, but you know what? Um, that's that's the nature of life, and we and we don't let her husband be there for this. We don't want her husband to be around when they're trying to get her to admit anything in this mission because she might be ashamed of him and therefore not want to admit it in front of him. So he's not present. But now they tell her, listen, they say to her, Biti, our daughter, Harba Yain Osa. You know, this happens sometimes. You drink too much wine and then the next, one thing leads to another and then, you know, things get out of hand. Or Harba Schok Osa. You know, too much levity, goofing around. You thought you were just whatever, having flirting and it wasn't going to go somewhere, but it went somewhere. And again, you know, these things happen. Or Harba Yaldus Osa. You know, immaturity, a lack of a lack of experience. You're a young girl. He took advantage of you, whatever the story is. And therefore, you know, we, we, we understand these things. These things could happen. Or they say, listen, you keep bad company, and then, you know, these people have a bad influence on you. So then those people, you know, you, you, you get one thing leads to another, and you end up, you know, doing something that's, that's, that's very wrong. 
So the point is, we're not saying what she did wasn't wrong. We're just saying, listen, you know, people are people, and it's understandable in certain circumstances a person could make a big mistake. And listen, you made a big mistake, but, you know, we understand. So, okay, we get it. So just admit that you made the mistake. It's understandable, and, and you know, and we'll and we'll we can move on with things. Again, moving on would mean she's going to get divorced, she's not going to have her ksuba, and then she can get on with her life. So that technique doesn't work, and she's not, you know, induced to admit by them sort of, you know, sugarcoating the situation. So then they appeal to her religious sensibilities. They say, listen, do for the sake of Hashem's holy name that's written in sanctity, shlo al hamaim. So that it doesn't have to be erased in the water, because again, you'll recall that the bitter waters include Hashem's name being erased from that parchment, and that's a terrible thing. We don't want it to be erased for nothing. So they say, "Listen, do it for for the sake of of you know God and His name not getting erased." If that doesn't work, the fourth technique is they they tell her, "Listen, people bigger than you have done this kind of stuff before, and they admitted." So it says, "They tell her things that really are not." You know, it's not really worthy to be said, and she isn't worthy to hear them, um, neither her nor her family. The idea being here, they're going to portray um, Tzadikim like um, Yehuda, the son of Yaakov, and and uh, Reuven, the son of Yaakov, who famously um, did improper things, but, but then they admitted it. So the story of Yehuda with Tamar, um, and and that was really inappropriate, but he admitted it when the time came. And, and uh, Reuven, so Reuven, the the verse says, "V'yelech Reuven v'yishkav es bil ha'pilegish aviv." The verse says that Reuven went and he lay with Bilha, his father's concubine, meaning Yaakov's concubine. The Gemara in truth ends up saying, um, "It's a Gemara in Shabbos that if you you shouldn't understand that literally. It's not what actually happened. What actually happened was that um, after after Rachel died, so up to that time, Yaakov had been." She was like the primary wife. His bed was in her tent. When Rachel died, Reuven, the oldest son, and Leah's son, expected that Yaakov would move his bed into Leah's tent. But he didn't. Instead, he moved it into Bila, the concubine's tent. And now that was a great affront to the honor of Leah, thought Reuven. And therefore, he went and dragged his father's bed out of Bila's tent and put it into Leah's, um, his mother's tent. And that was considered to be certainly highly inappropriate. It's totally out of line. And for someone of Reuben's stature, we censure him, the, the Pusik censures him, as if he actually slept with Bila. But he didn't actually literally do so. All that notwithstanding, the way the Rambam learns um, this, and the way he codifies it in the Hechosota, is that actually we explain to her the story of Yehuda Kapshuto as it's written in the Pesukim, meaning we don't actually give Chazal's explanation that really he didn't actually sleep with her. We tell her, look, Look what Reuven did. He even slept with Billa, and, you know, he admitted, and so too, you know, you're no better than Reuven, and yet, you know, and he admitted, so you can admit too. So, again, that's how he learns they're not really appropriate to say, but they'd do it anyways, because we really want to try to get this girl to save her life and admit, um, and hoping she will. But if none of those four techniques work, and she sticks to her guns, so now the mission will pick up in the next mission, Mishnah, hey, so what happens next?